3: of America. If you're wondering what that sound means, it's one of the staple songs and soundtracks, really, for the Chicago Bulls back in the day. Tonight, we have a very special guest, former governor of Illinois. Governor Bogovic, will be joining us on this show after he was pardoned by President Trump. But this show goes beyond that. It goes into the vision, the future, and the passion of criminal justice reform that is taking off from this governor. I'll tell you what, he's going to have a lot to say, and we're ready to hear him. This is AJC Radio bringing you tonight exclusive one-on-one interview with Governor Bogovich of Illinois. Hang on, we take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks, along with Kendrick Barnes, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Dennis Merritt, Cliff Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we uh, begin to get into a discussion with who I believe is a profound individual who is set, uh, really set in place to make a huge impact on this nation with criminal justice reform. His experience is well noted and what he has gone through is not what the topic of this show is about. It is about giving the voice and a platform to a man that has something to say and he has a vision in front of him. We're going to deal with him tonight uh, on this show. Mark Vargas is going to be joining him on, that, on, on, uh, on this panel. We'll be joined later in the show by Bernard uh, Kleinman, uh, attorney at law out of New York. And uh, he has a lot to say of why prison, prison reform is so important. And to have Governor Bagoevich, uh be able to tell his vision to the American people uh, all across the United States tonight, I think is something that's critically important. Samson, your thoughts?
4: Uh, I just I can't wait to hear what the uh, you know the governor has to say about this because I was reading over uh, one of the articles where he discusses not only you know I mean he, you can talk the the fiscal cost that you know where it costs each state, what it costs each um, you know city. And everything else like that, but he goes into like the, the human toll that this takes as well. You know, he talks about in this article how you know, like we've talked about on the show before, how ninety four percent of applications for compassionate release were denied. He ta- he goes into the the crooked criminal justice system. He talks about how there is an urgent need for reform, and I, I just I can't wait to hear what he has to say. And about That,
3: that. And that's exciting. We can talk about what we've been through because without going through uh, what the governor went through, that's right. Uh, who knows if this vision? Because we are blind by the system. Uh, We know that from experience on this show, Uh, my wrongful conviction, seven years in Colorado State Prison for a crime I never committed. Uh, But the passion uh, that is inwardly, when you have gone through injustice, does not burn out. It simply does not. So uh, I am excited tonight to talk to the governor about his passion, what lies ahead for this nation, and that he can be a contributing factor in a very big way. In uh, making a difference in our criminal justice system, William, your thoughts? Well, you know, I like Samson, I his views now, after going through what he's gone
0: through. Um, I was listening to to some of his vi- interviews, you know, post his release, and what he was sharing was so profound. You know, he was talking about the these the prosecution and how they are they are you know empowered and emboldened in such a way that it, that is not right. It, they're not able to to uh, they're able to present their cases and, and, and the defense was not in, in a lot of cases. So he was, he had a very interesting insight into that, that, that our listeners need to need to hear. And also he talked about his family aspect, you know, he talked about how, when he went in the impact, his girls, his daughters were, were young. And now, of course, years later, they're older and, and now the impact of the family, you know, so, so that's something that, that really makes us look, like you said, look inward, look at the overall impact.
3: And uh, so this is going to be a great show tonight. No, I'm excited about it. Dennis, your thoughts uh, and what have you
5: learned? Yeah, I'll quote the uh, governor. He said, for the past nearly seven years, I have served time with well over a thousand inmates. I have come to know many of them. While almost all of them are in one way or another guilty of the crimes they are here for and should most certainly be held accountable, I have been surprised by what I've learned. A large number of these men are not bad men. And it tells you that, he says, I believe a lot of them have given another chance, can do good. Oh, that's and th- this is that personal uh, relationship that he formed with these other inmates while he was in, and it opened his eyes to see that a lot of these people, you know, the, these people that are in prison, deserves a second mm-hmm. chance. And I think this show is, he, he's going to speak on that, and it's going to show you that sometimes you know, you, you learn when, when you're put in that position, you get a lot more out of it.
3: No, absolutely right. And uh, we're excited to, uh, to bring this show to you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please feel free to dial into the show if you got questions of the governor uh, uh, and, and want to hear uh, and comment on what he's talking about tonight. Dial in the 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. And uh, again, uh, this is something we need more advocates in this nation. We need people who will stand up and fight for the rights of people and fight against corruption and injustice. You know, it, it, it's, it's not a padded job. It takes some work. You, gotta get, you know, you got to pull your, your pant legs up, get in the trenches there, and get in the mud and learn and fight, because that's how dirty this, this system has become. And if you're willing to do that, uh, then you're, you're definitely absolutely able to make a difference. Uh, uh, definitely in the lives of a lot of people and, and really begins to shape a nation that's uh, so necessary for criminal justice reform. So, again, we look forward to this conversation tonight. You're going to be joining us at, at uh, 15 after the hour. We should be hearing from them, bringing them on this show. Again, feel free to dial the 646 200 0628. Before we go to break, I'd like to say uh, to all of the victims of the coronavirus, those that have passed on. Uh, Our thoughts, our prayers go out to the families of those folks that have been lost. Um, And um, I tell you what, we're in different times right now. Uh, Of course, different places across the country are hit harder than others. Uh, It's needful that we remember those that we have lost. Uh, And as we come together, I would hope as a nation uh, to pull together uh, to do what we can to make this place a lot safer. And uh, we're going to definitely work to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio coming up. Coming up Governor Bogovic, the man released by President Trump not too long ago on the path of advocacy and criminal justice reform. He joins us after the break. This is AJC Radio. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother, and I'm pretty sure that You and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work. And at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime That he did not commit. That's right. That may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother, and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land.
6: I wish I was in school.
7: If only I had a math test today. Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class. I'll clean the chalkboard. I'll do extra homework. I'll skip recess.
2: I wish I was in school. I wish I was in
7: school. I really wish I was in school.
1: School ends, but free lunches for your kids don't have to. Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org summermeals meals for help
8: together we're feeding america Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention, attention.
6: from older guys is totally flattering. They're so much more mature and understanding than the guys mind.
8: Age. age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really
6: interested in the same things I am. You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about chatting.
8: Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other
6: people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with Meeting
8: them is the goal. Once I get them out of their house, well, that's when things get really interesting.
6: Online predators know what they're doing. Do
2: you <laughs> I surrender, I surrender.
7: Alright, pal. Get ready for the day,
4: buddy Hey Dad.
7: Hey Dad. We have a gun. What's up?
4: We have a gun. Why do you ask that, kiddo?
7: Can I play with it?
5: No, no, absolutely not. It's not a toy, you know that.
7: Do I? I bet it looks like one.
5: Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it to protect you, your sister and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV.
7: But what about the eight kids that get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe too. Where'd you hear that? TV.
2: Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV. Where
7: do you keep it? (laughs) It's hidden. I bet it's on top shelf for the closet, under your sweatshirts. Is it loaded?
5: It's not, I, I keep the bullets. in the
7: boots with the red leases, and the chest beside the bed? I haven't found them yet, but I'm sure I can. You always told me to be curious. Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know.
9: No, no, that's not what I meant. Look, I, I need to be ready if someone breaks in.
7: But what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I can use a gun to protect her.
9: No, Justin. I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough.
7: And what if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun.
1: Our gun? No, buddy. My gun.
7: But it is our gun. And our home. Happens all the time.
2: I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you.
7: But, Dad... You're not always here.
1: Today, with seasonal temperatures, we should reach our normal high of about 82 degrees by this afternoon. Clear skies tonight with a low near 70. Increasing cloudiness tomorrow, sticky and humid with a high of 56.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have been honored to share a conversation. As spring is a sign of new beginnings, Governor Bogovic has and has been granted his as he was pardoned by President Trump uh, in the uh, last few weeks and he is now an advocate for prison reform and we were honored to have him on this show but due to the Coronavirus and the number of people that are home and streaming and on the internet, we ran into some technical difficulties. But we were fortunate enough to capture about 20 to 30 minutes of that interview with Governor Blagojevich, with his friend and colleague, Mark Vargas, who joined the show as well. Uh, We're going to play that for you. And again, it's about 20 to 30 minutes. We have received a commitment from Governor Blagojevich in regards to coming back Uh, Once things have kind of slowed down on the World Wide Web to continue his passion, his vision for criminal justice reform, hang on now and listen to this interview. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we are honored and really count ourselves really privileged to have the next guest we're bringing on this show right now, and he is Governor Blagojevich, and I tell you what, he's a man on a mission in bringing and working into criminal justice reform and impacting a nation, and right now we are honored to have him as well as Mark Vargas, who is joining us with him and gentlemen, are you on the line?
10: Uh, I am Lamont. Hello, uh, hey, and, Mark and as well. and here I am. yeah, hi, Lamont. Thanks for having us on. We, I'll tell you what Governor, we are privileged, Mark. We are
3: honored to have both of you guys and I'll tell you what there are certain things they call trailblazers, if you will, that set the foundation and the path for those that will follow behind and Governor, I'm, I'm honored to have you, and, and I've heard some things that you're uh, focused on in criminal justice reform, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the floor tonight to talk to our listeners across this nation, uh, and I've, I've, I did explain to them that uh, uh, you have a vision and a path that uh, we're interested in, and I think the American people are interested in, given what we have seen in the criminal justice system. Go ahead, Governor, and really no need for an introduction but go ahead and introduce yourself to our to our listeners. And Mark, we're going to come to you as well, and you guys can just chime in together, and we're going to get into this dialogue. Is that good? It's, it's good.
11: Uh, it's good, Lamont. So uh, thank you very much, Lamont, for having me on, and thank you for the work that you do uh, with your radio show. You've taken uh, the terrible circumstances surrounding your life and uh, turned evil into good, just as the yes. scriptures tell us it can happen. And uh, that's what I hope to be able to do. I hope to be able to, Add my voice and do more than just add my voice uh, on the issue of criminal justice reform because it 's a broken and a racist criminal justice system. The federal criminal justice system is the one that I know a lot about since I had the misfortune of getting caught up in it and uh, yep. the, the The problem of mass incarceration in the United States is a problem that really affects all of us as Americans. It, it is in my mind uh, the, the civil rights issue of our time. you know that in America. We incarcerate six to ten times more people than any other industrialized nation in the world. We put more people in prison than they do in China, than they do in Russia, and than they do in Iran. And that should be a wake-up call to anyone who cares about justice and mercy. And when we put people in prison, frequently there are people who didn't do anything wrong, like was the case with you, victims of prosecutorial misconduct. I know a lot about that, and I, I know what it's like to be in prison for something that's not a crime. Uh, But they also, and I've learned this through my long, unhappy experience, we put people in prison in the United States, even if when they do wrong, especially nonviolent first-time offenders, for way too long a time. The sentences are extremely cruel and outrageous, and we're not just hurting the individual that we put in prison, but we we all too often forget to see past those people and see their loved ones who are left behind, their children, their wives, their girlfriends, their mothers. Uh, their husbands, their their brothers and sisters, and so yes. um, I've I've traveled a an unhappy long road, but I've learned a lot, and I truly believe that, uh, uh, and I've been blessed to be saved as I have been from, from liberated by President Trump the way he did it,
2: uh, yes. and
11: so I'm eager to work with not only anyone who's interested, but also with President Trump and his administration to build on the success that he's had with the First Step Act. There's more that That's we can the- do. So far it's a good beginning, and the president did something that no one thought he would do, but it's a beginning to, to uh, turn back the wrongs that have been done through the system that we have, where we have mass incarceration and have created a, a new Jim Crow in our society, especially in the African-American community where we create an environment where it's awfully hard for people who've gone through the system to come out again and start their lives again and have opportunities where they can build a good life for themselves. There are just so many things that we need to do in this area, and so, Lamont, thank you for giving me a chance to be on your radio show, because I I can't wait to really get started.
3: Well, no, I'm excited about that, and uh, what you say is is profoundly true, uh, Governor, because I'll tell you what, I I said this earlier, until you walk down a road of injustice, and they have many faces of injustice, there are many faces to that, whether you're wrongfully convicted, whether you're... uh, uh, targeted in the community because of your race because or you're treated poorly these are levels of injustice uh i am grateful for what uh and i don't want to say congratulations on going to prison because that's a wrongful thing that happened to you in my in my opinion uh and, and i believe that uh but what we learn from situations that we come out of and i think that's what i hear you you saying and, and have an opportunity to talk to mark as well uh what are we going to do now uh, thank God again for President Trump for the First Step Act. Uh, we've, we've had an opportunity to be directly affected by that uh, with one of the guys uh, that I think, Mark, I explained to you of the RP5, uh, walked out of prison. We did, a, we did actually a videotape of that uh, that went viral on social media uh, because of what this man had went through and leaving his 17 uh, – his, his daughter, I forget the age, uh, Cliff, she was, I believe she was 17 at the yeah. time. Uh, and to be reunited, man, and, and Governor, I'll tell you, when I saw it, uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you it brought tears to my eyes because I thought, mm-hmm. man, what this man has gone through, nobody understands it but those that have perhaps walked that road. Uh, I'm grateful uh, for you, your voice, uh, and you always have a platform here on uh, AJC Radio through a Just Cause, our organization, uh, and anything we can do to partner with you uh we're, we're all
11: hands on deck uh ready to get working with you we really are well that's good that's good Lamont we got a whole bunch of work to do and uh, Mark Vargas who's uh I don't know if you, your listeners know this but Mark is the guy I call the mystery man he's the one who I never met before and he came into our lives and talked to my wife and all of a sudden after he was in our lives for about 18 to 19 months suddenly I'm home and uh oh. and so he's he's on the line with us and he's got a whole bunch of things to say, and he's he's going to work with us on criminal justice reform, uh, and bring his unique skills to bear, and hopefully lead to bringing justice to a lot more people uh, than just me. And by the way, what happened with me was merciful. President Trump did something that was merciful, yeah. um, you know, to undo, you know, to, to to basically put an end to the injustice that was done. You know, I was sent to prison for things that are routine political stuff, but if they can do yeah. that to a sitting governor from America's mm-hmm. fifth largest state, Lamont. You wow. see, yeah. Just imagine how many people they've been doing this to and how many people they're doing this to now and too many of us and I'm guilty of this and I I I, I regret this very much. I never I never realized how broken the system is and when I was governor and had the ability to have done more, I could have done so much more and I, I've had eight years in prison to kick myself in the head over it because um you know, I, I, I learned things every day there that I just didn't know. I was like most Americans. I trusted the system, but it's a system that's broken, and it's a system that disproportionately discriminates discriminates against people of color, particularly African Americans. Um, Mark, did you want to add something? I'm so sorry to take Mm -hmm. your time.
10: (laughs) No, you're you're on a roll, Governor. And uh, you know, I have to say, throughout this whole process, Lamont, you know, someone that has been absolutely tremendous for us is Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor. You know, Jared has a very unique Experience. His father was sent to prison. Uh, actually, Governor Chris Christie was the federal prosecutor that that put Charles yeah. Kushner in prison. And so, uh, Jared was very not only was he sympathetic, but he was empathetic. He understood as as um, the governor's two children what it felt like to have a parent uh, incarcerated. Uh, and so, he has just been an incredible advocate uh, and was incredibly supportive in our efforts. Uh, to get the governor home and so we've all worked you know either on the front lines or behind the scenes on the first step back but it's just the first step Uh, we have many more steps to go and and in a message that i uh uh, an email that i had sent to jared after the first step back and i congratulated him And i congratulate the president uh for signing this historic legislation jared replied back to me and immediately he said we have many more steps to go Uh, and i think that's uh, absolutely true and so i I appreciate your your support and and all of your listeners from across the country and obviously the governor's uh, voice and his national platform so that uh, we're we're just getting started.
3: Well, we're excited about that. Like I said, this is something and our hats off to uh to uh to Mr. Kushner. Uh, we understand he was was a was a pivotal part, a major part if you will, uh, in the First Step Act in criminal justice reform and and the people that came together uh, Mark and, and, and governor it, it it takes people coming together and working together to get these things done. And I'm going to go down uh, just a list of things that we're going to, I'd like to, to uh, governor uh, to, to ask you a few questions about and you can comment on them. Um, tell us a little bit uh, of it's, and I can tell you just from my experience, you know, when you go into a situation where you've been shocked uh, into a situation like, man, where am I? How did I get here? Uh, I went through that through my, doing my wrongful conviction, and I want to just get a, a few thoughts when everything had happened initially. And we, I, what I'm trying to do is just paint a picture, if you will, of where you've come to this point today uh, to be, I believe, one of, probably one of the strongest advocates that we've probably seen in our time uh, that's going to do some great things for this nation. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you felt initially going in that, I mean, I felt like, man, what am I doing here? I felt as hopeless as I could ever feel and alone as I could ever feel. Um, and I drew on some things I was taught as I was younger uh, to try to, uh, to, to focus on those things that my mother, who was a pastor, uh, taught me. Those things came front and center immediately once that cell door closed. Uh, and I'm curious what you thought when things happened, when you, find you found yourself there after being so loved by so many people. Did you feel that sense of isolation initially when you got there?
11: Oh, yes, absolutely. <clears throat> you know, Mont, Lamont, I uh, I had a lot of good fortune in my life. I, You know, I, I, I lived the American dream. My father and mother didn't have anything. They were working people. My dad was an immigrant. He didn't speak a lot of English. He worked in a factory, a steel factory, and he worked all the time. And, and my mother was a working mom, and she uh, – she worked it here in Chicago in the Chicago Transit Authority, the public transportation system, passing out the transfers at the stations, the subway stations, before they automated that. Uh, and so they never, you know, my mother and father never owned a home of their own, but they worked hard and they gave me opportunities, you know, that they never had. And I was fortunate enough through the help of thousands of people to become the governor of the fifth largest state in America. I mean, this is no small thing. Illinois is a big state. This is the place Abraham Lincoln came from. And I'm the governor of this state at a very pretty young age. And uh so I'm I hit the top of a pretty high mountain. And then 6 years later a little more than 6 years later calamity strikes and suddenly I've got FBI agents at my house, SWAT teams surrounding my house as a governor and and uh, I'm being arrested and well anyway the next thing uh, you know one thing leads to another here I am hearing the sound of the bars in prison and the gates closing and it's you know that sound you've been through it yourself and you're all alone as you say and you're so far away from home and everything that you love in the world has been taken from you um and so i went from that high mountain to this deep dark valley at frankly rock bottom as far as i was concerned and uh you know, I had purpose because I had to stay strong for my children. My daughters were young when all this happened. My little Annie was eight years old, and uh, she was, she, she's 16 now. She'll soon be 17, and my daughter Amy was uh, – she's 23 now, and she was, uh, she was what, 15 when I left, sophomore in high school. And uh, I had to be strong for them. I had to be strong for my wife, so I had to endure and persevere, as you did. Um, but like you were – I was all alone, and I'm sure it was true with you. My heart was broken. And uh,
2: yeah.
11: and then, as it's written, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in the Gospels, I was in prison, and you came to me. And yes. I, I reached out and and found great inspiration and strength in my faith in God. And I always believed in God. I always prayed. Uh, that was part of my life. Uh, you know, I i i I never left the Christian faith I was raised in, but i never I never took the time because I was so much in a hurry to get ahead in life to go yeah. from where my I started and to become the governor. I just never took the time to to spend time reading the Bible and learning what god's word was and and i I did it in prison because I had that time, and I did it because I needed it because I needed something to make me strong to help me endure it and to make me not feel so alone. And I discovered by a patient reading of the Bible every single day and taking time to do it, not rushing through it and thinking about it. I drew inspiration from it and it gave me strength. And the despair that I sometimes felt turned to hope. And over time, the pain that I felt, that deep pain that, you know, uh, little by little, it kind of dulled and became sort of a, a sadness that never leaves you. But mm-hmm. th- that, was something that was manageable. And then, as the years passed, and in the courts we kept suffering one staggering disappointment and defeat after another, but as the years passed, my faith in God became stronger and my confidence, ironically, became stronger, just believing that there was a purpose behind it all. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King used to say, the purpose of life is not the pursuit of happiness, it's it's to do God's will. And over time I felt... That however this was going to happen and how long it was going to take, even if it took the whole 14 years that they sent me to prison for, I truly felt that somehow this was going to turn and God was going to use that bad experience I had to serve a better purpose. And I, I still believe that. That's why I feel, you know, I would be I would be uh, delinquent uh, if I don't use the opportunities that I I'm hoping I'll have after what's happened to me to be not only a voice and an advocate, but to do more, to do whatever I can to be helpful in trying to fix this broken system that we have, this criminal justice system, and provide, you know, bring justice to the system and add a lot more mercy to the system because there can be no justice without mercy. And um, what we do have is a system that's very cruel, uh, even to those who've committed wrong. It's an unforgiving system that punishes wrongdoing, especially nonviolent offenders who do it the first time. I mean, look at the case of Alice Marie Johnson, the grandmother from Alabama. Nice. She did 21 nice. years in prison on a life sentence. She was given – this African-American woman from Alabama, a grandmother, was given a life sentence as a first-time nonviolent drug offender. And, uh, and thankfully, President Trump learned of the case, and because of the ability to actually learn of the injustice, he was able to undo it, and he sent her home to her family. And I think that's one of the big challenges that we all have. Those of us who are in this fight to reform the criminal justice system is to be able to get the attention of our leaders that these things are actually happening. Because among the regrets I have when I was governor is I just didn't know when they'd bring me cases and they'd show me cases. My staff would show me cases that that called for my action. I like to think I acted with mercy and with compassion. But my regret is that I didn't look for those cases because I wasn't aware that the problem was as widespread as it is. And were I governor today, it'd be something I'd be working on every single day to examine individual cases and to see whether or not the sentences that were meted out were fair and just. And uh, um, so anyway, it's a long answer. I'm sorry, Lamont, because there's so no, much no, no. to say. But
5: Hey, hey.
11: But I, huh? this is what this is for, okay.
5: Governor.
3: Hey, I can listen to you talk for the rest of the night, man. I'm enjoying <laughs> what I'm hearing. Uh, this is something that, uh-huh. that, uh, that needs to be said, and listeners need to hear this, that, look. Uh, it is not. It's never as it appears to be. And people are so right. quick to pass judgment and make a judgment on something they know nothing about. And when I hear you say what you've said, that's something that will make, I, in my opinion, uh, you an awesome advocate and a fighter for justice, because uh, I, I hear you speaking from your heart. That's where the, that's where the difference is made. And, and that's awesome, Governor. I, I, that's definitely good. Cliff. Yeah,
12: I wanted to say uh, governor we're we are ecstatic that you're out. Um, you know, myself personally, I thought from the, from the time I saw the charges against you, I thought if hey, this is this is the uh textbook definition of scapegoat about something. But the comment that you made that said that, you know, once you once you were in there and you began to um hear the people talk who were incarcerated with you, that you got a better understanding of what the system is about and its corruptions and its failures. And I think we've learned the same thing. The more as advocates that we research and learn about the laws and things that can happen. And, And, you know, the saying that before I saw it in action, I thought, oh, well, that's just, you know, some saying that. Uh, you know, a, a federal prosecutor could indict a ham sandwich. But you find out that that's true. Right. And like I said, if they can get a governor, the governor of Illinois, if they can get you, then the rest of us really, you know, uh, don't stand a chance when they come after them. And And we've seen that, that the normal, typical citizen does not stand a chance if the federal government comes after you. And that has to be, that has to be attacked that has to be brought down that the prosecutor's power to put people in prison. Um, it, it is, it is, it is ridiculous. I I'll, I've made the comment before, you know, cause their their rate of conviction is about 97%. And I made the comment that only the sons uh success rate is higher than that. We get an eclipse, you know, once in a while, right. Prosecutors, they convict just about everybody that they take before a judge. That needs to be changed. The laws need to be dealt with. Congress needs to do something, and we are so glad and, uh, that, that now, you know, uh, from your own amendments, that your eyes are open. You understand what's going on, and we look forward to, uh, to advocating with you.
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, can, I, can
11: I add something? Thank you. Hey, yes, Diego, was, ahead, that, is there, was that Greg, the gentleman that just spoke to me a second ago? Greg, is it? Cliff. Um, Lamont? Cliff. Um, Cliff. 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 Cliff, I'm sorry, Cliff. So Cliff, your point is extremely well taken. 97% conviction rate. Isn't that a wake-up call to everyone? Unless you're the undefeated boxing champ Floyd Money Mayweather. Who else ever wins 97% of the time at anything? Doesn't that tell us just how dirty and corrupt the system is?
2: That's they,
11: right. The system is so rigged that if they can't convict you the first time, they try you a second time. And they pull the first jury, and they treat it like it's a focus group in a political campaign to see what works and what didn't work. Now, that's what happened in my case. They tried me a second time, and then because the law, as was passed by Congress, didn't apply to their facts, they simply changed it. And then they misinformed the jury and gave them fake law to get them to convict you on on something by telling them that what you heard or saw, which is legal, is not legal because the jury doesn't know, and they trust the prosecutors, and they trust that judge in the courtroom. And these prosecutors, Cliff, you hit it on the head. They're uncontrolled and unaccountable. They're cloaked with sovereign immunity by the law so they can do whatever they want and they don't have to face any consequences. I bet you those those prosecutors – it's so rare that prosecutors in in the case that you had, Lamont, would be actually held accountable for their misdeeds. But for the most part, they all protect themselves, and then they whitewash the wrongdoings of them. And let's face it. How do they get all these convictions, and how do they get a 97% conviction rate? Most of them are through plea bargains because they threaten people with long sentences unless they say what they want them to say. And then when they do that, they reward those people with lighter sentences. And so the system is based upon shaking people down on the one hand or bribing them on the other. And it's perfectly legal, and they have this unlimited power where they don't have to answer to anybody, and they get away with this. And this explains why we have a system that we have today. And, again, I, I want to go back to this, but it's true. And I saw in prison for eight years with my colleagues there. It's disproportionately discriminates against African Americans and people of color, and they get away yeah. with it because it's lower income communities and the and the people who are caught up in the system don't have the means to fight, and they recognize that, and so they give up because they can't fight back, and they end up pleading guilty to things they didn't do
3: No, exactly right, and uh, a really quick governor, I think we got a caller. Uh, that, that has something to, uh, to comment about.
12: But- yes, we have uh, Wayne who wants to make a comment about cri- uh, criminal justice reform. Wayne, you're live. Go ahead.
9: Hi, thanks for having me. Um, governor Blagojevich, just wanted to compliment you for speaking out on uh, criminal justice reform. I know earlier you stated if you were you know, back in the officer's, office of the governor that you, know, you had done things differently. Uh, speaking to um, governors that are in office right now, what, what would you tell them, and what recommendations would you give to them on, um, you know, using their power for a positive uh, criminal justice reform?
11: That's a great question, Wayne. Well, here's what I would tell them. I would, and, and I sure wish I was kind of, I wish I had my old job back because this is what I would do. we we've got this coronavirus, which is, in a way, a kind of different type of war that we're fighting. In a way, it's kind of a third world war because it's a global pandemic so the president and all the governors need to focus on this every single day that's got to be the most important priority until we get past this crisis and it will pass and i believe god willing it'll pass sooner rather than later because i believe we're going to win as we always do here in america when we face threats like this then if i'm a governor and i would suggest this to all the governors You've got other priorities. You've got a lot of things you've got to do as the governor because there's a lot of different issues you have to deal with. But I would put this one right in the top of the list of the issues that should be addressed almost every single day. Now, in my case, I would do it every single day because I've had this unhappy experience that I've gone through. Other governors who haven't had the misfortune of ending up in prison like I did, uh, okay, maybe every other day they should do it. But I would make it a priority to bring staffers in Within the office of the governor that review the the clemency petitions and the commutation requests, and I would spend a few hours every day, at least two hours every day, reviewing them on a case-by-case basis because every case is different, and among the things that are wrong with the criminal justice system is that too often the laws have been made in such a way that it's a one-size-fits-all approach. And you get great injustice that way because everybody's case is different. People are different. The facts and circumstances are different. And when you got one law that applies to, to, to a certain group the same way, you're going to inevitably treat some people more harshly than others, and others who are less deserving will get treated less severely than someone who's more deserving. So I, I would carefully review all the petitions and clemency petitions on a case-by-case basis. And I would I would make this a daily or uh, every other day thing that a governor should work on. Um, and what they're going to discover is that they're going to end up, when they address those issues and do them, I think, in most cases, I think when a governor sees these problems, he will, he will act accordingly and they'll they'll remedy some of the wrongs. And so when they're done doing all of that after their four years in office – whether they get reelected or not, or whether they go home and decide not to run again, whatever the case may be, they can know that they have actually done something meaningful in the high position that they had, because they will have, they would have, they would have undone cruelty, they would have acted mercifully, and they would have brought more justice into a system that is crying out for it. And they're going to discover what I discovered, and that it, it, it isn't just a handful of cases; it's too many cases. That they're going to find wrongs in that they'll be able to correct. So if I was governor, uh, that's what I would wish I had done done that when I was the governor the first time around, well, the one time around, um, but that would, that would be my advice uh, to all the governors, because they're going to find a way to be actually bring goodness into a bad situation.
6: To the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. Oh bro. so gross. Lame. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be. I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip. I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. Hurt.
2: Power to be
6: more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop, take a moment,
0: and consider others before we speak.
6: And before we act, be more.
0: Be more. Be
6: more. Hey, everybody, it's going to be just point five out
2: there. So stay cool with your mood and keep your eyes on the road. Hey, we get a
1: lot. Every year, almost 40 children die of heat stroke after being forgotten in a vehicle. In 70 degree weather, it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven. At 104 degrees, heat stroke begins, followed by loss of consciousness. Yeah. This is an hour and a half or so. Mm. Leave without your child. Live without them forever. Look before you lock. Brought to you by Kids in Cars.
3: For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or At the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252 one 529 4252 We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us. For the children, for they truly are our future. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. Uh, a few technical, technical difficulties we were having. Uh, the governor and Mark Vargas will be calling back in here momentarily, and we're going to have uh, to continue this uh, interview. Also, Bernard Kleiman is going to be calling in. Uh, and we're waiting on that as well, thanks for your patience, folks. with this. uh The governor has a lot to say, and uh uh we're going to hear what he has to say as we wait for him to get back in Dennis, your thoughts on the, on the governor
5: Oh my God, I mean just awesome i mean you can, you can hear the passion in his voice when it comes to reform uh based on experience. I tell you that those years uh, wow uh, makes the difference and I tell you he's he's truly uh what he said tonight. Uh, wow, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm not inspired, something's wrong, because if he's really going to jump into this fight for uh, you know, criminal justice to get things right, I think he's going to do a lot. And, and along with AJC, uh, working together with him, and, and then you know the, the other caller, Mark, I mean, I, I'm just saying,
4: I, I'm looking forward to this, and I think it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Dennis. Because I mean, the fact of the matter is you can hear the passion in this man's voice. You can hear. I mean, yeah, he's right. He, he 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 mentioned he was just like the rest of us. You know, he he was taught and raised to to trust the system, to trust you know the justice system, to trust police, to trust attorneys, to trust judges to do the right thing. But the fact of the matter is, is like you know when he when he had to go through his own cases, whole, whole ordeal. The curtain got pulled back. You know, he got to see uh, the real ugly that lies underneath this whole whole system that we have. I mean, you know, he was in there, he, and he talks about the relationships that he built. He talks about how it truly, like, changed his perspective. And then to hear that, you know, you know, on top of that, you know, that he's now using that, he's going to go back out and push for reform. He's encouraging those that are in those positions of authority, push. Push for change. Let nonviolent offenders and everything like that, let them get out of there because, I mean, what, what are they going to do? Push for the, you know, the implementation across this nation of the First Step Act, you know. Everything like that—that that, that President Trump, whether you like him or not, he's pushing forward for reform. He's leaning into it, you know, and trying to make some things happen. So I hope, you know, and I, I'm glad that we're, you know, we're we're partnering up with with the governor. I'm glad that we're, you know, we're all going to lean forward and get some traction on this thing. And I I really can't I can't wait to see what uh what comes out of this.
13: And I just last i just hope that people really open their minds and their ears and hear what he has to say. This is a man who's at the top. And he's he is admitting that when I was at the top, you can't see what's really going on underneath that's happening to people until you live there. And I just hope people really listen to that, and especially those who are in power. Don't just look at a news headline and see his name and think, well, he's not talking about anything. No, this is a man that's telling you from experience. He knows how it is to be in a place where you're affecting lives. You could be blind to what's really going on. Then he basically hits that hard bottom and sees this is affecting not just the person who's convicted, especially if he's wrongly convicted, but his families, wives, everything. Everyone goes to prison with that man. I wish people would just listen and understand that this is something we really need to take the heart about reforming this criminal justice system. Exactly.
3: Okay, and it looks like uh, they're getting ready to get them in here, uh, folks. Uh, Again, uh, anxious to get the governor. Governor, are you with us? Yes.
11: Yes. Uh, hi, Lamont. Hi again. We're here. Hello. Nice to be back. <laughs> hey,
3: hey, hey. Nice to have Man, you. Man, I'll tell you, we're yeah. glad to have you, Governor. So uh, I don't know where we left off, but uh, we need to finish. We need to pick that up. Uh, you, I believe you were going into the conversation uh, in regard. You t- shared your, your testimony of what you had gone through uh, and all those things that had happened to you. And your faith really is what kept you strong. Uh, through this ordeal. Uh why don't you go ahead and pick it up from there? If you if that's where we were, which I believe we were somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, well, we were talking tech- about
10: we were talking about what he would do as governor. There we go. There Actually, we go. The, the criminal justice reform.
3: Right. Yeah, but you right. were talking about the virus being very important right now that governors focus on that and you would be on top of that. Go ahead and pick it up from there, Governor, if you could please.
11: Okay, Lamine, and thanks for reminding us Mark. Yeah, I think I left off. The question was Wayne, your caller called and asked, you know, what would you do? uh, How would you recommend? How would you advise other governors on this issue? And what should they do? And so, uh, clearly, we're we're involved in a global pandemic. This is an emergency, a public health emergency. We're up against a deadly virus, an invisible enemy. In so many ways, it's like a world war, like the third world war, because it's global, uh, and it's a direct threat to public health and the lives of our citizens. So. This is something the governors, I think, are all working hard on. I know President Trump is, and he's leading with with uh, conviction and courage. Uh, so if I, my advice to the governors, and of course they, they don't need this advice, they're doing it, is that's your priority right now. But when this is over, and it will be over, we're going to defeat this virus and we're going to be successful eventually in getting back to normal. Uh, then what I would suggest to other governors, and I would do it by saying, if I were governor, again, this is what I would do, I would make it a daily event, at least five days a week, the weekdays, Monday through Friday, because part of being governor is you have to set priorities, and you have big issues you have to work on. So for me, when I was governor, healthcare, care, expanding health care, affordable health care to people was the biggest priority, so we were able to provide health care to all the children in Illinois long before any other state did it. And there were other mm-hmm. issues like that that we'd worked on, education, and clearly there were public safety issues. Um, But I would move the issue of clemency uh, to the top of the list of priorities to work on, something that you don't just look at maybe once a month, but something you look at every day, every workday at least, five days a week, and devote maybe an hour, maybe two hours, depending upon what the needs are, by personally reviewing with your top staffers all the different clemency petitions and uh, and evaluate each case on a case-by-case basis, and this is important because – too often the laws that have been made by the Congress and by the state legislatures, what they do is they, they do these one-size-fits-all laws. And so they apply these laws to different people who have different facts and circumstances surrounding their cases, and you get a lot of injustice, unjust results from that because um, you know, you're know, it's like you need a custom-made suit instead of buying one off the rack because it doesn't fit. Uh, that particular body of a case, and so you would. I would recommend they carefully review these cases and evaluate them individually, and then begin this. This process takes takes a on a priority where they're doing it almost every day, and they're doing it, and the weeks will become months, and then before you know it, your four year term is up, and at the end of that term, whether you run again or not whether you win again or lose, we'll be able to look back because in all likelihood, the governors will discover not just a handful, but they're going to discover a whole lot of cases that need that need uh, relief. And they're going oh, to respond to that need by providing relief to cure the injustices or the unmerciful sentences. And when it's all over, they'll be able to look back and they'll know that they've done meaningful things for a whole lot of people and that they've acted justly, and that surely must be pleasing to God. So if I were governor, that's what I would do. I I wish I I was in that position to do it. Um, I dropped the ball when I was the governor, but it's because I think most of us in positions like that, we are like most Americans. We trust the criminal justice system. We believe Mm -hmm. these federal judges and these federal prosecutors are the best and the brightest. And uh, I've learned a very hard lesson that they're not even though they're real smart in school, they go to the best law schools and they, you know, they, they know how to put a case on and win in a court where frankly, it's not that hard to win when you got the judge too often on your side. Um, Then I, then uh, I think that, uh, I I think that governors can step in and really play a role in, um, in fixing the wrongs that are done. And, um, mm, I agree. But, but you've got to know it exists, and you've and you got to know the cases. You have to have those cases so you can see them. The Alice Moore right. Johnson case that President Trump acted on, he did that. He cured that wrong and sent her home to her family because that case was brought to his attention. And unless right. a governor or a president knows that these things exist, it's just going to get lost. Yeah. And, uh, and then people are gonna, are not going to get the remedies that they deserve uh, through basic, you know, through a sense of justice. So oh,
2: that's sure. what
11: I would do if I were if I were the governor again. That's what I would recommend the governors to do to look for these cases, and they'll
3: find okay. them. Uh, well, how do we get you to run for governor here in Colorado? Are you, are you, up <laughs> for the, are you
11: up for the task? <laughs> yeah, um, my wife's made it clear that if uh if I decide to go back into politics, I yeah. should find another wife.
2: <laughs> oh, wow.
3: Listen, you said mystery. Mark showed up and and right after that you were out of prison. Uh maybe uh Mark you can get him down in Colorado to become governor out of here. What do you think?
10: <laughs> That's right. No, you know, I'm going to listen to Patty on that one. <laughs> okay. You know, there's but other I, issues too, mine, As you know, there's yes. quality of life issues
11: within the prisons. So, you yes. know, another thing I, governors can do and I could have done is visit the prisons and 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 spend time maybe have the, some of the families of inmates come and visit with the governor or or meet with the governor's top staff and more direct contact with their families and and keep constantly looking for ways to make things better during their period of hardship and and, and because again here's another thing I learned see I, when, when I was you know the man and I was the governor and before that I was a US congressman I like to think that You know, I tried to always work hard for the people, and I I tried to remember what my roots were, and I I didn't forget where I came from. But unless you can really personalize an issue, it's hard to really understand it. And if governors and leaders have have a chance to interact with the families that are left behind, you know, broken and sad, and and it's heart-wrenching, the children, the young children who don't have their fathers, who don't have their mothers, um, and the the wives, the girlfriends, the the mothers, the grandmothers, and the parents, all of those people out there, you know, when we give up on the inmate, we're giving up on those people too, and uh, the, that 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 is not right. And here again, it isn't because you know that the political leaders are heartless or cruel. It's just because they're not aware of it. They're so busy they're yeah. not thinking about it. So if they no, get sure. to meet with the families and understand more the challenges that they're facing and the hardship they they have to deal with i'm certain that there'll be a lot more uh attention given to these issues and better yeah. results
3: no i agree with that governor and and uh we had an opportunity uh we did a show on some judges uh those that honor the robe, because i think was the name of the show that we did and uh a judge actually went and spent the night in jail with someone he had sentenced uh to, I don't know how many days it was with, for, the, for the inmate, but he went through a, a very serious time. He had post-traumatic stress syndrome from military uh, action and things like that, and the judge said uh, he saw the stress on this guy's face and went down there and took him dinner. I forgot the dinner they had that day, uh, and they ate dinner in the cell. The judge like, locked in the cell with the inmate and had dinner with him to try to calm his fears. The judge said he was never the same after that. Because he understood now what it means and what people were feeling, and I think, Governor, that's I, I, that's what I'm hearing from you.
2: Blog Talk Radio.
3: Ladies and gentlemen of America, if you're wondering what that sound means, it's one of the staple songs and soundtracks, really, for the Chicago Bulls back in the day. Tonight, we have a very special guest, former governor of Illinois. Governor Bogovic will be joining us on this show after he was pardoned by President Trump. But this show goes beyond that. It goes into the vision the future and the passion of criminal justice reform that is taken off from this governor. I'll tell you what, he's going to have a lot to say, and we're ready to hear him. This is AJC Radio bringing you tonight exclusive one-on-one interview with Governor Bogovic of Illinois. Hang on, we take off right now. And there you have it. I'm Lamont Banks along with Kendrick Barnes, Sampson Riddle, William Williams, Dennis Merritt, Cliff Stewart, and the entire AJC radio team tonight as we uh, begin to get into a discussion with I, who I believe is a profound individual who is set, uh, really set in place to make a huge impact on this nation with criminal justice reform. His experience is well noted. And what he has gone through is not what the topic of this show is about. It is about giving the voice and a platform to a man that has something to say, and he has a vision in front of him. We're going to deal with him tonight uh, on this show. Mark Vargas is going to be joining him on, that, on, on, uh, on this panel. We'll be joined later in the show by Bernard uh, Kleinman, uh, attorney at law out of New York. And uh, he has a lot to say of why prison, prison reform is so important. And to have Governor Blagojevich uh, be able to tell his vision to the American people uh, all across the United States tonight, I think is something that's critically important. Samson, your thoughts?
4: Uh, I just I can't wait to hear what the uh, you know the governor has to say about this because I was reading over uh, one of the articles where he discusses not only you know I mean he, you can talk the the physical cost that you know where it costs each state, what it costs each um, you know city. And everything else like that, but he goes into like the, the human toll that this takes as well. You know, he talks about it in this article how you know, like we've talked about on the show before, how ninety four percent of applications for compassionate release were denied. He ta- he goes into the, the crooked criminal justice system. He talks about how there is an urgent need for reform, and I, I just I can't wait to hear what he has to say and about it. That,
3: that. And that's exciting. We can talk about what we've been through because without going through uh, what the governor went through, that's right. Uh, who knows if this vision? Because we are blind by the system. Uh, We know that from experience on this show, Uh, my wrongful conviction, seven years in Colorado State Prison for a crime I never committed, Uh, but the passion uh, that is inwardly, when you have gone through injustice, does not burn out. It simply does not. So uh, I am excited tonight to talk to the governor about his passion, what lies ahead for this nation, and that he can be a contributing factor in a very big way. Uh, in making a difference in our criminal justice system, William, your thoughts? Well, you know, I like Samson, I his views now, after going
0: through what he's gone through. Um, I was listening to to some of his vi- interviews, you know, post his release, and what he was sharing was so profound. You know, he was talking about the these the prosecution and how they are they are you know empowered and emboldened in such a way that it, that is not right. It, they're not able to to uh, they're able to present their cases, and and, and the defense was not in, in a lot of cases. so he was he had a very interesting insight into that, that that our listeners need to need to hear. and also he talked about his family aspect, you know he talked about how when he went in, the impact his girls, his daughters were were young, and now, of course, years later, they're older, and, and now the impact of the family, you know so so that's something that that really makes us look like you said, look inward look at the overall
3: impact. And uh, so this is going to be a great show tonight. No, I'm excited about it. Dennis, your thoughts uh, and what
5: have you learned? Yeah, I'll quote the uh, governor. He said, for the past nearly seven years, I have served time with well over a thousand inmates. I have come to know many of them. While almost all of them are in one way or another guilty of the crimes they are here for and should most certainly be held accountable, I have been surprised by what I've learned. A large number of these men are not bad men. And it tells you that, he says, I believe a lot of them have given another chance, can do good. Oh, and th- this is that personal uh, relationship that he formed with these other inmates while he was in. And it opened his eyes to see that a lot of these people, you know, the, these people that are in prison, deserves a second chance. And I think this show is he, he's going to speak on that and it's going to show you that sometimes... You know, you, you learn when, when you're put in that position, you get a lot more out of it. No,
3: absolutely right. And uh, we're excited to, uh, to bring this show to you tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please feel free to dial into the show if you got questions of the governor uh, uh, and, and want to hear uh, and comment on what he's talking about tonight. Dial to 646-200-0628. That's 646-200-0628. And uh, again, uh, this is something we need more advocates in this nation. We need people who will stand up and fight for the rights of people and fight against corruption and injustice. You know, it, it, it's, it's not a padded job. It takes some work. You got to, you know, you got to pull your, your pant legs up, get in the trenches there and get in the mud and learn and fight because that's how dirty this, this system has become. And if you're willing to do that, uh, then you're you're definitely absolutely able to make a difference. Uh, uh, definitely in the lives of a lot of people and, and really begins to shape a nation that's uh, so necessary for criminal justice reform. So, again, we look forward to this conversation tonight. You're going to be joining us at, at uh, 15 after the hour. We should be hearing from them, bringing them on this show. Again, feel free to dial the 646 200 0628. Before we go to break, I'd like to say uh, to all of the victims of the coronavirus, those that have passed on uh our thoughts our prayers go out to the families of those folks that have been lost um and um i tell you what we're in different times right now uh of course different places across the country are hit harder than others uh it, it's needful that we remember that those that have, we have lost uh and as we come together i would hope as a nation uh to pull together uh, to do what we can to make this place a lot safer and uh we're going to definitely work to do that Ladies and gentlemen, this is AJC Radio coming up. Coming up Governor Bogovic, the man released by President Trump not too long ago on the path of advocacy and criminal justice reform. He joins us after the break. This is AJC Radio. Do you have a big brother? Well, I have a big brother and I'm pretty sure that You and I experienced some of the same things with a big brother. Big brothers will always be big brothers, right? I'm sure you'll agree. Well, my brother gets up in the morning. He takes a shower, heads to work. And at some point during the day, he's going to exercise and get that workout, as we all do. And, of course, depending on what's going on, he's going to sit down for two or three meals during the course of his day. And also, depending on what else is going on, he'll probably get caught up on current events and maybe take a few moments to turn a page in a book. How about your big brother? Some of the same stuff, right? Oh, did I mention that my big brother does all of that stuff? But he actually has to have permission a lot of times before he can do it. You see, my big brother was wrongfully convicted of a crime crime. That he did not commit. That's right, that may sound shocking, huh? He's in prison. Wrongful convictions impact families in ways you cannot begin to imagine. But I've decided that I'm going to do something about it. And I extend an invitation to you to come on board and join me in this fight. You see, I'm helping to be a voice for my big brother, and others who have been wrongfully convicted. We'd like you to take a few moments today and call a just cause where we fight for justice. You can call us toll free at 1-855-529-4252. That's 1-855-529-4252. Join with us as we fight for justice and for all big brothers across the land.
6: I wish I was in school.
7: If only I had a math test today. Or a book report to give. I wish I was in school. I'll stay after class, I'll clean the chalkboard I'll do extra homework, I'll skip Ethan
2: I wish I was in school I wish I was in school
7: I really wish I was in school
1: School ends, but free lunches for your kids don't have to Find your local food bank at feedingamerica.org slash summer
8: for help. Together, we're feeding America. Meeting a teen girl online is actually pretty easy. You can go into any chat room and just start talking. Most of the girls are usually so insecure and desperate for attention. Attention
6: from older guys is totally flattering. There's so much more mature and understanding than the guy's mind.
8: Age actually works to my advantage. They like to brag to their friends that they're dating an older guy, so I just play along and pretend I'm really
6: interested. is in the same things I am. You can talk forever and really get to know someone without worrying about looks or whatever. That's the best thing about
8: chatting. Chatting seems unthreatening to them, so they lower their guard. After a while, I start talking about how we're soulmates and how lucky we are to have found each other. Other
6: people don't understand. I know what I'm doing. If you really care about each other, there's nothing wrong with me. Meeting them
8: is the goal. Once I get them out of their house, well, that's when things get really interesting.
6: Online predators know what they're doing. Do you
2: <laughs> <laughs>
7: I surrender, I surrender. All right, pal. Get ready
2: for the day, buddy.
7: Hey Dad. Hey Dad. We have a gun. What's up? We have a gun.
5: Why do you ask that, kiddo?
7: Can I play with it?
9: No, no, absolutely not. It's not a toy. You know that.
7: Do I? I bet it looks like one.
9: Yeah, well, it's not. Anyway, I need it
5: to protect you, your sister, and mom. From what? From bad guys, like on TV.
7: But what about the eight kids who get shot every day by mistake? Their daddies probably thought they were safe, too.
2: Where'd you hear that? TV. Yeah, well, maybe we don't believe everything we hear on TV.
7: Where do you keep it? (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's hidden
7: I bet it's on top shelf of the closet Under your sweatshirt Is it loaded?
5: It's not I, I keep the bullets In the
7: boots with the red leases And the chest beside the bed I haven't found them yet But I'm sure I can You always tell me to be curious Remember when I found my Christmas gift? I'm a good climber, you know
9: No, no, that's not what I meant Look, I, I need to be ready If someone breaks in
7: but what about when it's just me and Mom? You taught me to be brave. I can use a gun to protect her.
9: No, Justin, I promise. I'll teach you how to handle a gun when you're old enough.
7: And what if I don't make it to old enough? I could get bullied and decide it's too much for me. It would be so easy with our gun.
1: Our gun? No, buddy. My gun.
7: But it is our gun. And our home. Happens all the time.
2: I'll make sure that doesn't happen. I'm always here for you.
7: But, Dad, you're not always here. Today,
1: the temperatures. We should reach our normal high, about 82 degrees by this afternoon. Clear skies tonight with a low near 70. Increasing cloudiness tomorrow, sticky and humid.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we have been honored to share a conversation. As spring is a sign of new beginnings, Governor Bogovic has and has been granted his as he was pardoned by President Trump uh, in the uh, last few weeks, and he is now a advocate for prison reform, and we were honored to have him on this show, but due to the coronavirus and the number of people that are home and streaming and on the internet, we ran into some technical difficulties. But we were fortunate enough to capture about 20 to 30 minutes of that interview with Governor Blagojevich, with his friend and colleague, Mark Vargas, who joined the show as well. Uh, We're going to play that for you and again, it's about 20 to 30 minutes. We have received a commitment from Governor Blagojevich in regards to coming back Uh, Once things have kind of slowed down on the World Wide Web to continue his passion, his vision for criminal justice reform. Hang on now and listen to this interview. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AJC Radio tonight, as we are honored and really count ourselves really privileged to have the next guest we're bringing on this show right now, and he is Governor Blagojevich, and I tell you what, he's a man on a mission in bringing and working into criminal justice reform and impacting a nation, and right now we are honored to have him as well as Mark Vargas,
11: who is joining us with him And,
3: gentlemen, are you on the
11: line?
10: Uh, I am, Lamont. Hello. Uh,
11: And Mark as well.
10: And here I am. Yeah, hi, Lamont. Thanks for having us on. I'll tell you what, Governor, we are privileged,
3: Mark. We are honored to have both of you guys. And I'll tell you what, there are certain things they call trailblazers, if you will, that set the foundation and the path for those that will follow behind, and Governor, I'm I'm honored to have you, and, and I've heard some things that you're uh, focused on in criminal justice reform, and I'll tell you what, I'm going to give you the floor tonight to talk to our listeners across this nation, uh, and I've, I've, I I've did explain to them that uh, uh, you have a vision and a path that uh, we're interested in, and I think the American people are interested in, given what we have seen in the criminal justice system. Go ahead, Governor, and really no need for an introduction but go ahead and introduce yourself to our to our listeners, and Mark, we're going to come to you as well, and you guys can just chime in together, and we're going to get into this dialogue. Is that good? It's, it's good. Great, uh,
11: it's good, Lamont. So uh, thank you very much, Lamont, for having me on, and thank you for the work that you do uh, with your radio show. You've taken uh, the terrible circumstances surrounding your life and uh, turned evil into good, just as the scriptures yes. tell us it can happen, and uh, that's what I hope to be able to do. I hope to be able to add my voice and do more than just add my voice uh, on the issue of criminal justice reform, because it's a broken and a racist criminal justice system. The federal criminal justice system is the one that I know a lot about since I had the misfortune of getting caught up in it. And uh, yeah. the, the the problem of mass incarceration in the United States is a problem that really affects all of us as Americans. It, it is in my mind, uh, the, the civil rights issue of our time, you know, that in America, We incarcerate six to ten times more people than any other industrialized nation in the world. We put more people in prison than they do in China, than they do in Russia, and than they do in Iran. And that should be a wake-up call to anyone who cares about justice and mercy. And when we put people in prison, frequently there are people who didn't do anything wrong, like was the case with you, victims of prosecutorial misconduct. I know a lot about that, and I, I know what it's like to be in prison for something that's not a crime. Uh, But they also, and I've learned this through my long, unhappy experience, we put people in prison in the United States, even if when they do wrong, especially nonviolent first-time offenders, for way too long a time. The sentences are extremely cruel and outrageous, and we're not just hurting the individual that we put in prison, but we we all too often forget to see past those people and see their loved ones who are left behind, their children, their wives, their girlfriends, their mothers. Uh, their husbands, their their brothers and sisters, and so yes. um, I've I've traveled a an unhappy long road, but I've learned a lot, and I truly believe that, uh, uh, and I've been blessed to be saved as I have been from, from liberated by President Trump the way he did it, uh, yes. and so I'm eager to work with not only anyone who's interested, but also with President Trump and his administration to build on the success that he's had with the First Step Act. There's more that I we can to- do. So far it's a good beginning, and the president did something that no one thought he would do, but it's a beginning to, to uh, turn back the wrongs that have been done through the system that we have, where we have mass incarceration and have created a, a new Jim Crow in our society, especially in the African-American community where we create an environment where it's awfully hard for people who've gone through the system to come out again and start their lives again and have opportunities where they can build a good life for themselves. There are just so many things that we need to do in this area, and so, Lamont, thank you for giving me a chance to be on your radio show because I I can't wait to really get started.
3: Well, no, I'm excited about that, and uh, what you say is is profoundly true, uh, Governor, because I'll tell you what. I I said this earlier. Until you walk down a road of injustice – and they have many faces of injustice. There are many faces to that, whether you're wrongfully convicted, whether you're uh, – Targeted in the community because of your race Because or you're treated poorly These are levels of injustice uh, I am grateful For what uh, And I don't want to say congratulations on going To prison because that's a wrongful Thing that happened to you in my, in my opinion uh, and, and I believe That uh, but what we learn From situations that we come out of And I think that's what I hear you, you Saying and, and having the opportunity to talk to Mark As well uh, What are we going to do now uh, thank God again for President Trump for the First Step Act. Uh, we've, we've had an opportunity to be directly affected by that uh, with one of the guys uh, that I think, Mark, I explained to you of the RP5, uh, walked out of prison. We did, a, we did actually a videotape of that uh, that went viral on social media uh, because of what this man had went through and leaving his 17 uh, – his, his daughter, I forget the age, uh, Cliff, she, I believe she was 17 at the yeah. time. Uh, And to be reunited, man, and and Governor, I'll tell you, when I saw it, uh, I'm going to tell you it brought tears to my eyes because I thought, Mm -hmm. man, what this man has gone through, nobody understands it but those that have perhaps walked that road. Uh, I'm grateful uh, for you, your voice, uh, and you always have a platform here on uh, AJC Radio through a Just Cause, our organization, uh, and anything we can do to partner with you uh we're, we're
11: all hands on deck uh ready to get working with you we really are well that's good that's good Lamont we got a whole bunch of work to do and uh, Mark Vargas who's uh I don't know if you, your listeners know this but Mark is the guy I call the mystery man he's the one who I never met before and he came into our lives and talked to my wife and all of a sudden after he was in our lives for about 18 to 19 months suddenly I'm home and uh oh. and so he's he's on the line with us and he's got a whole bunch of things to say, and he's he's going to work with us on criminal justice reform, uh, and bring his unique skills to bear, and hopefully lead to bringing justice to a lot more people uh, than just me. And by the way, what happened with me was merciful. President Trump did something that was merciful, yeah. um, you know, to undo, you know, to, to to basically put an end to the injustice that was done. You know, I was sent to prison for things that are routine political stuff, but if they can do that yeah. to a sitting governor from America's mm-hmm. fifth largest state, Lamont. You wow. see, yeah. just imagine how many people they've been doing this to, and how many people they're doing this to now. And too many of us, and I'm guilty of this, and I I I, I regret this very much. I never I never realized how broken the system is. And when I was governor, I had the ability to have done more. I could have done so much more. And I I've had eight years in prison to kick myself in the head over it because, um, you know, I I, I learned things every day there that I just didn't know. I was like most Americans. I trusted the system, but it's a system that's broken, and it's a system that disproportionately discriminate against, discriminates against people of color, particularly
10: African Americans. Um, Mark,
11: did you want to add something? I'm so sorry to take mm-hmm. your time.
10: <laughs> no, you're you're on a roll, Governor. And uh, you know, I have to say, throughout this whole process, Lamont, you know, someone that has been absolutely tremendous for us is Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and senior advisor. You know, Jared has a very unique Experience. His father was sent to prison. Uh, actually, Governor Chris Christie was the federal prosecutor that, that put Charles Kushner in prison. And so uh, Jared was very, not only was he sympathetic, but he was empathetic. He understood, as, as um, the governor's two children, what it felt like to have a parent uh, incarcerated. Uh, and so he has just been an incredible advocate uh, and was incredibly supportive in our efforts. Uh, to get the governor home and so we've all worked you know either on the front lines or behind the scenes on the first step back but it's just the first step Uh, we have many more steps to go and and in a message that i uh uh, an email that i had sent to jared after the first step back and i congratulated him and i congratulate the president uh for signing this historic legislation jared replied back to me and immediately he said we have many more steps to go Uh, and i think that's uh, absolutely true and so i I appreciate your your support and and all of your listeners from across the country, and obviously the governor's uh, voice and his national platform so that uh, we're we're just getting started.
3: Well, we're excited about that, like I said, this is something, and our hats off to uh, to uh, to Mr Kushner. Uh, we understand he was was a was a pivotal part, a major part, if you will, uh, in the first step act in criminal justice reform and and the people that came together. Uh, Mark and, and, and governor it, it it takes people coming together and working together to get these the things done. And I'm going to go down uh, just a list of things that we're going to, I'd like to, to uh, governor uh, to, to ask you a few questions about, and you can comment on them. Um, tell us a little bit uh, of it's, And I can tell you just from my experience, you know, when you go into a situation where you've been shocked uh, into a situation like, man, where am I? How did I get here? Uh, I went through that during my wrongful conviction, and I want to just get a a few thoughts when everything had happened initially. And what I'm trying to do is just paint a picture, if you will, of where you've come to this point today uh, to be, I believe, one of of the strongest advocates that we've probably seen in our time uh, that's going to do some great things for this nation. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you felt initially going in that, I mean, I felt like, man, what am I doing here? I felt as hopeless as I could ever feel and alone as I could ever feel. Um, and I drew on some things I was taught as I was younger uh, to try to, uh, to, to focus on those things that my mother, who was a pastor, uh, taught me. Those things came front and center immediately once that cell door closed. Uh, and I w- I'm curious what you thought when things happened, when you, find you found yourself there after being so loved by so many people did you feel that sense of isolation initially when you
11: got there oh yes absolutely <clears throat> you know Lamont I um uh, I had a lot of good fortune in my life I you know I, I I lived the American dream my father and mother didn't have anything they were working people my dad was an immigrant he didn't speak a lot of English he worked in a factory a steel factory and he worked all the time and and my mother was a working mom and she uh she worked here in Chicago in the Chicago Transit Authority, the public transportation system, passing out the transfers at the stations, the subway stations, before they automated that. Uh, and so they never, you know, my mother and father never owned a home of their own, but they worked hard and they gave me opportunities, you know, that they never had. And I was fortunate enough through the help of thousands of people to become the governor of the fifth largest state in America. I mean, this is no small thing. Illinois is a big state. This is the place Abraham Lincoln came from. And I'm the governor of this state at a very pretty young age. And uh, so I hit the top of a pretty high mountain. And then six years later, a little more than six years later, calamity strikes, and suddenly I've got FBI agents at my house, SWAT teams surrounding my house as a governor, and and, uh, I'm being arrested. And, well, anyway, the next thing, uh, you know, one thing leads to another. Here I am hearing the sound of the bars in prison and the gates closing and it's you know that sound you've been through it yourself and you're all alone as you say and you're so far away from home and everything that you love in the world has been taken from you um and so i went from that high mountain to this deep dark valley frankly rock bottom as far as i was concerned and uh you know i had purpose because i had to stay strong for my children my daughters were young when all this happened my little annie was eight years old and uh, she was, she, she's 16 now. She'll soon be 17. And my daughter, Amy was, uh, she's 23 now. And she was, uh, she was what, 15 when I left sophomore in high school. And, uh, I had to be strong for them. I had to be strong for my wife. So I had to endure and persevere as you did. Um, but like you were, I was all alone and I sure it was true with you. My heart was broken and, uh, yeah. And then, as it's written, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in the Gospels, I was in prison, and you came to me, and yes. I, I reached out and and found great inspiration and strength in my faith in God. In I always believed in God. I always prayed. Uh, that was part of my life. Uh, you know, I, I I I never left the Christian faith I was raised in, but I never I never took the time because I was so much in a hurry to get ahead in life to go from where my I started and to become the governor I just never took the time to to spend time reading the Bible and learning what God's word was and and I I did it in prison because I had that time and I did it because I needed it because I needed something to make me strong to help me endure it and to make me not feel so alone and I discovered by a patient reading of the Bible every single day And taking time to do it, not rushing through it, and thinking about it, I drew inspiration from it, and it gave me strength. And the despair that I sometimes felt turned to hope. And over time, the pain that I felt, that deep pain that you know, uh, little by little, it kind of dulled and became sort of a a sadness that never leaves you, but Mm -hmm. that was something that was manageable. And then as the years passed, And in the courts, we kept suffering one staggering disappointment and defeat after another. But as the years passed, my faith in God became stronger, and my confidence, ironically, became stronger, just believing that there was a purpose behind it all. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King used to say, the purpose of life is not the pursuit of happiness. It's it's to do God's will. And over time, I felt that however this was going to happen and how long it was going to take, even if it took the whole 14 years that they sent me to prison for, I truly felt that somehow this was going to turn, and God was going to use that bad experience I had to serve a better purpose. And I, I still believe that. That's why I feel, you know, I would be, I would be uh, delinquent uh, if I don't use the opportunities that I, I'm hoping I'll have after what's happened to me to be not only a voice and an advocate, but to do more, to do whatever I can to be helpful in trying to fix this broken system that we have, this criminal justice system, and provide, you know, bring justice to the system and add a lot more mercy to the system because there can be no justice without mercy. And um, what we do have is a system that's very cruel, uh, even to those who've committed wrong. It's an unforgiving system that punishes wrongdoing, especially nonviolent offenders who do it the first time. I mean, look at the case of Alice Marie Johnson, the grandmother from Alabama. Yes. She did 21 yes. years in prison on a life sentence. She was given – this African-American woman from Alabama, a grandmother, was given a life sentence as a first-time nonviolent drug offender. And, uh, and thankfully, President Trump learned of the case, and because of the ability to actually learn of the injustice, he was able to undo it, and he sent her home to her family. And I think that's one of the big challenges that we all have those of us who are in this fight to reform the criminal justice system is to be able to get the attention of our leaders that these yep. things are actually happening. Because among the regrets I have when I was governor is I just didn't know when they'd bring me cases and they'd show me cases, my staff would show me cases that that called for my action. I like to think I acted with mercy and with compassion. But yep. my regret is that I didn't look for those cases because I wasn't aware that the problem was as widespread as it is. And were I governor today, it'd be something I'd be working on every single day to examine individual cases and to see whether or not the sentences that were meted out were fair and just. And uh, um, so anyway, it's a long answer. I'm sorry, Lamont, because there's so no, much no, no. to say. But
2: Hey, but hey I, huh? this is what this is
3: for, okay. Governor. Hey, I can listen to you talk for the rest of the night, man. I'm enjoying <laughs> what I'm hearing. Uh, this is something that, well, that, uh, that needs to be said, and listeners need to hear this, that, look. Uh, it is not – it's never as it appears to be, and people are so right. quick to pass judgment and make a judgment on something they know nothing about. And when I hear you say what you've said, that's something that will make, I, in my opinion, uh, you an awesome advocate and a fighter for justice because uh, I, I hear you speaking from your heart. That's where the, that's where the difference is made, and, and that's awesome, Governor. I, I, that's definitely good. Cliff?
12: yeah I wanted to say uh, governor we're we are ecstatic that you're out, um, you know myself personally. I thought from the from the time I saw the charges against you, I thought if hey, this is this is the uh textbook definition of scapegoat about something, but the comment that you made that said that you know once you once you were in there and you began to um, hear the people talk who were incarcerated with you, that you got a better understanding of what the system is about and its corruptions and its failures. And I think we've learned the same thing. The more as advocates that we research and learn about the laws and things that can happen. And, And, you know, the saying that before I saw it in action, I thought, oh, well, that's just, you know, some saying that. Uh, you know, a a federal prosecutor could indict a ham sandwich. But you find out that that's true. And like I said, if they can get a governor, the governor of Illinois, if they can get you, then the rest of us really, you know, uh, don't stand a chance when they come after them. And we've seen that, that the normal, typical citizen does not stand a chance if the federal government comes after you. And that has to be, that has to be attacked. That has to be brought down. That the prosecutor's power to put people in prison, um, it, it is it is it is ridiculous. I I'll, I've made the comment before, you know, because their their rate of conviction is about ninety seven percent, and I made the comment that only the sons' uh, success rate is higher than that. We get an eclipse, you know, once in a while. Right. Prosecutors, they convict just about everybody that they take before a judge. That needs to be changed. The laws need to be dealt with. Congress needs to do something. And we are so glad and uh, that that now, you know, uh, from your own amendments, that your eyes are open. You understand what's going on. And we look forward to uh, to advocating
11: with you.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, uh, can, Governor, I, can I can add
11: something? Thank you. Ahead, that, is that is was that Greg, the gentleman that just spoke to me a second ago? Greg, is it Cliff? Um, Lamont. Cliff. Um, Cliff. Cliff. Cliff, I'm sorry. Cliff. So, Cliff, your point is extremely well taken. Ninety-seven percent conviction rate. Isn't that a wake-up call to everyone? Unless you're the undefeated boxing champ Floyd Money Mayweather. Who else ever wins 97 percent of the time at anything? Doesn't that tell us just how dirty and corrupt the system is? That's they, right. The system is so rigged that if they can't convict you the first time, they try you a second time. And they pull the first jury, and they treat it like it's a focus group in a political campaign to see what works and what didn't work. Now, that's what happened in my case. They tried me a second time, and then because the law, as was passed by Congress, didn't apply to their facts, they simply changed it. And then they misinformed the jury and gave them fake law to get them to convict you on on something by telling them that what you heard or saw, which is legal, is not legal because the jury doesn't know, and they trust the prosecutors, and they trust that judge in the courtroom. And these prosecutors, Cliff, you hit it on the head. They're uncontrolled and unaccountable. They're cloaked with sovereign immunity by the law so they can do whatever they want and they don't have to face any consequences. I bet you those those prosecutors – it's so rare that prosecutors in in the case that you had, Lamont, would be actually held accountable for their misdeeds. But for the most part, they all protect themselves, and then they whitewash the wrongdoings of them. And let's face it. How do they get all these convictions, and how do they get a 97% conviction rate? Most of them are through plea bargains because they threaten people with long sentences unless they say what they want them to say. And then when they do that, they reward those people with lighter sentences. And so the system is based upon shaking people down on the one hand or bribing them on the other. And it's perfectly legal, and they have this unlimited power where they don't have to answer to anybody, and they get away with this. And this explains why we have a system that we have today. And, again, I, I want to go back to this, but it's true. And I saw in prison for eight years with my colleagues there it disproportionately discriminates against African-Americans and people of color, and they get yeah. away with it because it's lower-income communities, and the, and the people who are caught up in the system don't have the means to fight, and they recognize that. And so they give up because they can't fight back, and they end up pleading guilty to things they didn't do.
3: you exactly right, and uh, a really quick, Governor. I think we got a caller uh, that that has something to uh, to comment about.
2: But- yes,
12: we have uh, Wayne who wants to make a comment about cri- uh, criminal justice reform. Wayne, you're live. Go ahead.
9: Hi, thanks for having me, um, Governor Blagojevich. Just wanted to compliment you for speaking out on uh, criminal justice reform. I know earlier you stated if you were you know back in the officer's office of the governor that you know you had done things differently. Uh, speaking to um, governors that are in office right now, what, what would you tell them, and what recommendations would you give to them on, um, you know, using their power for a positive uh, criminal justice reform?
11: That's a great question, Wayne. Well, here's what I would tell them. I would, and I sure wish I was kind of, I wish I had my old job back because this is what I would do. we we've got this coronavirus, which is, in a way, a kind of different type of war that we're fighting. In a way, it's kind of a third world war because it's a global pandemic so the president and all the governors need to focus on this every single day that's got to be the most important priority until we get past this crisis and it will pass and i believe god willing it'll pass sooner rather than later because i believe we're going to win as we always do here in america when we face threats like this then if i'm a governor and i would suggest this to all the governors You've got other priorities. You've got a lot of things you've got to do as the governor because there's a lot of different issues you have to deal with. But I would put this one right in the top of the list of the issues that should be addressed almost every single day. Now, in my case, I would do it every single day because I've had this unhappy experience that I've gone through. Other governors who haven't had the misfortune of ending up in prison like I did, uh, okay, maybe every other day they should do it. But I would make it a priority to bring staffers in Within the office of the governor that review the the clemency petitions and the commutation requests, and I would spend a few hours every day, at least two hours every day, reviewing them on a case-by-case basis because every case is different. And among the things that are wrong with the criminal justice system is that too often the laws have been made in such a way that it's a one-size-fits-all approach. And you get great injustice that way because everybody's case is different. People are different. The facts and circumstances are different. And when you got one law that applies to, to, to a certain group the same way, you're going to inevitably treat some people more harshly than others, and others who are less deserving will get treated less severely than someone who's more deserving. So I, I would carefully review all the petitions and clemency petitions on a case-by-case basis. And I would, I would make this a daily or uh, every other day thing that a governor should work on. Um, and what they're going to discover is that they're going to end up, when they address those issues and do them, I think, in most cases, I think when a governor sees these problems, he will, he will act accordingly and they'll, they'll remedy some of the wrongs. And so when they're done doing all of that after their four years in office – whether they get reelected or not or whether they go home and decide not to run again, whatever the case may be, they can know that they've actually done something meaningful in the high position that they had because they will have they would have they would have undone cruelty, they would have acted mercifully, and they would have brought more justice into a system that is crying out for it. And they're gonna discover what I discovered and that it, it, it isn't just a handful of cases, it's too many cases that they're going to find wrongs in that they'll be able to correct. So if I was governor, uh that's what I would wish I had done done that when I was the governor the first time around, well the one time around. Um, but that would, that would be my advice uh, to all the governors because they're going to find a way to be actually bring goodness into a bad situation.
6: sit here. Don't add her to the chain. It was just a joke. We're not friends. Why are you talking to me? You started it. you so gross. Lame. User. Weirdo. I've said and done things before that I'm not proud of. Just as I've been hurt by others. The thing is, this, this is not who I am. And it's definitely not who I want to be.
0: I don't want to be cruel. I don't want to spread gossip.
6: I don't want to be a body shaver. I don't want to exclude anyone. I don't want to make anyone feel lonely. Left out. hurt power to be more. We can create a kinder world. It's not that hard. We just need to stop, take a moment,
0: and consider others before we speak,
6: and before we act. Be more. Be more. Be more. Hey everybody, it's gonna be just quite So stay cool with your
2: mood and keep your eyes on the road when you Hey, we get a lot.
1: Every year, almost 40 children die of heat stroke after being forgotten in the vehicle in 70-degree weather, it takes only minutes for the inside of a car to heat up like an oven. At 104 degrees, heat stroke begins, followed by loss of consciousness. Yeah. It's an hour and a half or so. <laughs> Leave without your child. Live without them forever. Look before you lock. Brought to you by Kids in Cars.
3: For a kid whose mom or dad is in prison, life is tough. Now add a wrongful conviction to that. Life just got a little bit tougher. Trying to explain to friends why mom or dad is not at the school play or At the ball game is something that no kid should ever be faced with, especially if mom or dad is innocent. Ladies and gentlemen, get involved today to stop the epidemic of wrongful convictions. By remembering a just cause with a monthly, annual, or one-time donation, you can help in the fight against wrongful convictions. Call a just cause today. 1-855-529-4252 one 529 4252 We seek justice for the children. As they go to bed at night and mom's not there, dad's not in the other room to make them feel safe. Not because dad or mom did anything wrong, because justice could not be found. Join us. The children, for they truly are our future. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to AJC Radio. Uh, a few technical, technical difficulties we were having. Uh, the governor and Mark Vargas will be calling back in here momentarily, and we're going to have uh, to continue this uh, interview. Also, Bernard Kleiman is going to be calling in. Uh, and we 're waiting on that as well, thanks for your patience, folks. with this. Uh, the governor has a lot to say, and uh, uh we 're going to hear what he has to say as we wait for him to get back in Dennis, your thoughts on the, on the Governor
5: Oh my God, I mean just awesome i mean you You can hear the passion in his voice when it comes to reform uh, based on experience. I tell you that those years uh, wow uh, makes the difference and I tell you he's he 's truly uh, what he said tonight. Uh, wow if i 'm if I'm, if I'm not inspired, something's wrong because if he 's really going to jump into this fight for uh, you know criminal justice to get things right, I think he 's going to do a lot, and, and along with A j c are uh, working together with him and and then you know the the other caller mark i mean
4: i 'm just saying i 'm looking forward to this, and I think it 's going to be awesome. yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Dennis I mean because the fact of the matter is you can hear the passion in this man 's voice. You can hear. I mean, yeah, he's right. He, he 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 mentioned he was just like the rest of us. You know, he he was taught and raised to to trust the system, to trust you know the justice system, to trust police, to trust attorneys, to trust judges to do the right thing. But the fact of the matter is, is like you know when he when he had to go through his own case, his whole, whole ordeal, the curtain got pulled back. You know, he got to see uh, the real ugly that lies. Underneath this whole whole system that we have, I mean, you know, he was in there. He and he talks about the relationships that he built. He talks about how it truly like changed his perspective. And then to hear that, you know, you know, on top of that, you know, that he's now using that. He's going to go back out and push for reform. He's encouraging those that are in those positions of authority push, push for change. Let nonviolent offenders and everything like that let them get out of there because I mean, what what are they going to do? Push for the you know the implementation across this nation of the First Step Act. You know. Everything like that, that are, that President Trump, whether you like him or not, he's pushing forward for reform. He's leaning into it, you know, and trying to make some things happen. So I hope, you know, and I, I'm glad that we're, you know, we're, we're partnering up with, with the governor. I'm glad that, we're, you know, we're all going to lean forward and get some traction on this thing. And I, I really can't, I can't wait to see what uh, what comes out of this.
13: And I just want, I just hope that people really open their minds and their ears and hear what he has to say. This is a man who's at the top. And he's he is admitting that when I was at the top, you can't see what's really going on underneath that's happening to people until you live there. And I just hope people really listen to that, and especially those who are in power. Don't just look at a news headline and see his name and think, well, he's not talking about anything. No, this is a man that's telling you from experience. He knows how it is to be in a place where you're affecting lives. You could be blind to what's really going on. Then he basically hits that hard bottom and sees this is affecting not just the person who's convicted, especially if he's wrongly convicted, but his families, wives, everything. Everyone goes to prison with that man. I wish people would just listen and understand that this is something we really need to take the heart about reforming this criminal justice system.
5: Exactly.
3: Okay, and it looks like uh, they're getting ready to get them in here, uh, folks. Uh, Again, uh, anxious to get the governor. Governor, are you with us?
11: Yes. Yes. Uh, hi, Lamont. Hi again. We're here. Hello. Nice to be back. <laughs>
3: hey, 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 nice to have Man, you. Man, I'll tell you, we're yeah. glad to have you, Governor. So uh, I don't know where we left off, but uh, we need to finish. We need to pick that up. Uh, you, I believe you were going into the conversation uh, in regard. You t- shared your, your testimony of what you had gone through uh, and all those things that had happened to you. And your faith really is what kept you strong. Uh, through this ordeal uh, why don't you go ahead and pick it up from there if you, if that's where we were which i believe we were somewhere in that ballpark uh, well, we were talking tech-
10: about we were talking about what he would do as governor there we go there Actually, we go the, the criminal right. justice reform right yeah, but you right. were
3: talking about the virus being very important right now that governors focus on that and you would be on top of that go ahead and pick it up from there governor if you could please
11: okay lamont and thanks for reminding us mark yeah i think i left off the question was Uh, Wayne, your caller called and asked, you know, what would you do? uh, How would you recommend, how would you advise other governors on this issue and what should they do? And so uh, clearly we're we're involved in a global pandemic. This is an emergency, a public health emergency. We're up against a deadly virus, an invisible enemy in so many ways. It's like a world war, like the third world war, because it's global. uh, And it's a direct threat to public health and the lives of our citizens. So, this is something the governors, I think, are all working hard on. I know President Trump is, and he's leading with with uh, conviction and courage. Uh, so if I, my advice to the governors, and of course they, they don't need this advice, they're doing it, is that's your priority right now. But when this is over, and it will be over, we're going to defeat this virus, and we're going to be successful eventually in getting back to normal. Uh, then what I would suggest to other governors, and I would do it by saying, if I were governor, again, this is what I would do, I would make it a daily event, at least five days a week, the weekdays, Monday through Friday, because part of being governor is you have to set priorities and you have big issues you have to work on. So for me, when I was governor, health care, expanding health care, affordable health care to people was the biggest priority. So we were able to provide health care to all the children in Illinois long before any other state did it. And there were other mm-hmm. issues like that that we'd worked on education, and clearly there were public safety issues. Um, But I would move the issue of clemency uh, to the top of the list of priorities to work on, something that you don't just look at maybe once a month, but something you look at every day, every workday at least, five days a week, and devote maybe an hour, maybe two hours, depending upon what the needs are, by personally reviewing with your top staffers all the different clemency petitions and uh, and evaluate each case on a case-by-case basis, and this is important because – too often, the laws that have been made by the Congress and by the state legislatures, what they do is they they do these one-size-fits-all laws, and so they apply these laws to different people who have different facts and circumstances surrounding their cases, and you get a lot of injustice, unjust results from that because, um, you know, you're it's like you need a custom-made suit instead of buying one off the rack because it doesn't fit. Uh, that particular body of a case. And so you would, I would recommend they carefully review these cases and evaluate them individually and then begin this, this process takes, takes a, on a priority where they're doing it almost every day and they're doing it and the weeks will become months and then before you know it, your four-year term is up and at the end of that term, whether you run again or not, whether you win again or lose, we'll really be able to look back because in all likelihood, the governors will discover not just a handful, but they're going to discover a whole lot of cases that need, that need uh, relief. And they're going to Absolutely. respond to that need by providing relief to cure the injustices or the unmerciful sentences.
8: And when it's all
11: over, they'll be able to look back, and they'll know that they've done meaningful things for a whole lot of people and that they've acted justly, and that surely must be pleasing to God. So if I were governor, that's what I would do. I I wish I I was in that position to do it. Um, I dropped the ball when I was the governor, but it's because I think most of us in positions like that, we are like most Americans. We trust the criminal justice system. We believe these federal judges and these federal prosecutors are the best and the brightest, and uh, I've learned a very hard lesson that they're not even though they're real smart in school, they go to the best law schools and they, you know, they, they know how to put a case on and win in a court where frankly, it's not that hard to win when you got the judge too often on your side. Um, Then I, then uh, I think that, uh, I I think that governors can step in and really play a role in, um, in fixing the wrongs that are done. And, um, I agree. But but you've got to know it exists, and you, and you've got to know the cases. You have to have those cases so you can see them. The Alice Moore right. Johnson case that President Trump acted on, he did that. He cured that wrong and sent her home to her family because that case was brought to his attention. And unless right. a governor or a president knows that these things exist, it's just going to get lost. Yeah. And, uh, and then people are going are not going to get the remedies that they deserve uh, through basic, you know, through a sense of justice. So oh,
9: that's
11: sure. what I would do if I were if I were the governor again. That's what I would recommend the governors to do to look for these cases, and they'll find okay. them.
3: Uh, well, how do we get you to run for governor here in Colorado? Are you, are you, up, for the, are you up for the task? <laughs> yeah, um,
11: my wife's made it clear that if uh if I decide to go back into politics, I should yeah. find another wife.
3: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Wow, listen, you said mystery Mark showed up and and right after that you were out of prison uh maybe uh Mark, you can get him down in Colorado to become Governor out of here. What do you think
10: <laughs> That's right? No, you know, I'm gonna listen to Patty on that one,
2: okay, <laughs> you know there's but other I,
10: issues too mine, as you know,
2: there's yes.
11: quality of life issues within the prisons, so you yes. know another thing I, governors can do, and I could have done is visit the prisons and 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 spend time maybe. Have the, some of the families of inmates come and visit with the governor, or or meet with the governor's top staff, and more direct contact with their families, and and keep constantly looking for ways to make things better during their period of hardship. And and, and because again, here's another thing I learned. See, I, when, when I was, you know, the man, and I was the governor, and before that I was a U.S. congressman. I like to think that. You know, I tried to always work hard for the people, and I I tried to remember what my roots were, and I I didn't forget where I came from. But unless you can really personalize an issue, it's hard to really understand it. And if governors and leaders have have a chance to interact with the families that are left behind, you know, broken and sad and heart – and it's heart-wrenching. The children, the young children who don't have their fathers, who don't have their mothers – um, and the, the wives, the girlfriends, the, the mothers, the grandmothers, and the parents, all of those people out there, you know, when we give up on the inmate, we're giving up on those people too. And uh, the, that 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 is not right. And here again, it isn't because, you know, that the political leaders are heartless or cruel. It's just because they're not aware of it. They're so busy, they're yeah. not thinking about it. So if they no, get sure. to meet with the families and understand more the, challenges that they're facing and the hardship they they have to deal with i'm certain that there'll be a lot more uh attention given to these issues and better yeah. results
3: no i agree with that governor and and uh we had an opportunity uh we did a show on some judges uh those that honor the rope is i think was the name of the show that we did and uh a judge actually went and spent the night in jail with someone he had sentenced uh to, I don't know how many days it was with, for, the, for the inmate, but he went through a, a very serious time. He had post-traumatic stress syndrome from military uh, action and things like that. And the judge said uh, he saw the stress on this guy's face and went down there and took him dinner. I forgot the dinner they had that day. Uh, and they ate dinner in the cell. The judge like, locked in the cell with the inmate and had dinner with him to try to calm his fears. The judge said he was never the same after that. Because he understood now what it means and what people were feeling. And I think, Governor, that's, I, that's what I'm hearing from you.